And there's definitely a clear, unspoken boundary in the room this morning. It's, it's like all of our regulars are sitting over here, with the exception of two, and then new folks are over here. So, for the most part, you're like, I'm not exactly sure if I want to go all the way over here, but everyone's kind of avoiding the middle. So, um, except you guys, because you don't know that the air conditioning kicks on and it'll freeze out everybody. But I like it. Um, it makes me happy. Uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you, my name is Matthew, um, one of the pastors here, and if you are at home, if I haven't got to meet you, uh, I'm Matthew. Great to see you guys. Um, glad everyone is here. Um, man, it's crazy times. Like, it is. It is crazy, crazy times. Like, um, you interview 10 people, you're going to get 10 different responses on everything that's going on. So it's neat to have everybody in a room at the same time, at the same place, and everybody's just, just happy. So that's good. So glad you're here. We are, uh, we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. Uh, we've got a few more weeks here. Um, and just, just excited about this particular passage today because I love it when, um, like I love to do hard work with Scripture. Like I love having to, to really dig and, and find things that are going on there. Today's not one of those. Today is one of these passages and just, it just says it and it's there, and we just, we just take it, and it's good. It's not rebuke. It's none of those things. It's like good, clear instruction, and uh, man, I need this in my life very often. I'm, I'm one of these guys that um, I'm to the place to where, I, you know, I love following Jesus, but what I crave more than anything is just to be told what to do. Like, I just, you know, I don't want to have to, to think so much. I'm, I'm at that point where I trust God enough to where if he says, do, do it, uh, I just want to hear that. Now, whether I choose to do it or not, that's up to me, and I'm a sinful man, and and there's grace there, but I, I hope that I choose to do it most days. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, last week, we, we kind of talked about this, this passage that seemed like an island in the middle of 1 Peter about marriage. Um, but the whole idea, and I, I need to set up the context of this particular passage, because if we, uh, if we just read it by itself, a lot like last week, uh, it may say something entirely different. But the context, again is this letter to scattered believers in modern-day Turkey, um, and most of them had not, uh, they probably hadn't been a part of the church for a long time, they, they probably had not had a lot of instruction, and so Peter, as a spiritual father to them, is writing them, telling them who they are, uh, be encouraged by who they are, be prepared for what's coming, and here are some ways in which we think. Um, and he started off uh, kind of a couple Sundays ago for us about just talking about this idea of being set apart. Like, uh, we are set apart for a purpose, we're set apart from the rest of the world, we are, uh, we're called to be different, uh, we're called to be different in how we respond to government, uh, we're called to be good citizens, as long as it does not conflict or conflict with the way in which we follow Jesus, we're called to be good, like in one instance, he says, if you are slaves and you have masters, whether they're good masters, whether they're bad masters, you be set apart in the way in which you respond, and then last week we talked about the idea that the way we do marriage should be different as a result of following Jesus, and we're called to be set apart in that. And today, he's continuing this idea um, in verse 8. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12 in chapter 3. Um, and still, in this particular place, he's gone from very specific in the ways that we live in regards to government, in the ways that we live in regards to masters, in the ways that we live in regards to marriage. And today's like this general idea. He's going to say, hey, this is how you live in regards to everyone else, like all the world around you, all people. Um, it's very easy to read this passage and think that it's just talking about the way that we respond to the one another's. The one another's would be those others who have called on Jesus to make them right with God. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. That's true too, but more importantly, it's also talking about everyone else, the entire world, all people. Um, 
there are some critical words that we're going to look at here, very, very important for us to understand, especially given uh, our circumstance now. Like, we didn't plan for this to land in the midst of COVID and in the midst of massive racial, ten- racial tension and the call for reconciliation. We didn't plan for it, but this is huge today, like super timely, really, I mean, just meaty, meaty stuff. Um, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to read all, all of these verses, but we're really just going to focus on, on the first one for a while. So let's, let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus. Um, and God, through him, we can know you. We can be made right with you. Um, and God, we can have a relationship with you uh, by grace through faith. Thank you for that. Thank you for the assurance of salvation. Thank you for the assurance of relationship. And thank you, God, that you did not uh, choose to redeem a people and then leave us alone. You choose to redeem us, set us apart for a purpose, uh, for your purpose and your pleasure. God, today I pray as we look at your word, we do it well. Uh, We do not add anything or take anything away. And God, today I pray that you speak. I pray you convict us into a place of action and response. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 together. It'll be up on the screen if you can see it. If you're at home, uh, pull out your Bibles or your phones or, or whatever you may do. So let's read. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter, writing this passage to a group of people, modern-day Turkey, it's really interesting. You can go and read another book, uh, Romans, and go to chapter 12, Paul writing to another group of people, especially the latter half of chapter 12, is a great compliment to this particular passage. Says a lot of the same things, just in different language. We'll, we'll cite that a little bit um, as we go along. But basically, just reminding, this is talking to all y'all. Like he says, first or finally, all of you, that's just southern, all y'all. Uh, he's saying all of you. All of you have called in the name of Jesus. This is for you. This is for you. And he just he lists just a couple of things. He says, have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brother love, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Man, today, like I want us to focus just on those those five ideas, what those look like, how they play out, um, and how we're to do those like right now. Like before COVID, before Corona, um, before George Floyd, we probably thought we had a pretty good handle on most of this. We probably thought, man, our, our sails are up, we are coasting, we got good wind, we are moving along. And then all of a sudden we realize, wow, we are quite divided. We are quite at odds with each other. Uh, my neighbor thinks this, I think that, I think they're an idiot, they think I'm an idiot. You know, all of these things. We've just realized in the past several months that we just, we think differently. And those differences that we have have created great tension, even in the church. And so, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we took a break from, from First Peter, like the church must lead the way. Like we have to lead the way in reconciliation, we have to lead the way in love, the way that we love one another, the way that we love the outside world. And I think these five ideas right here, we just, man, we just need to hear and figure out what they look like. And so he says, finally, all of you, or all y'all, the first thing he says is have unity 
of mind. Most of the time when we think about unity or being united, um, we generally think about the church itself. Like we think about a unified pursuit, a unified passion, all of those things. That's great, but that's not exactly what's being talked about here. If we translate this into somewhat whimsical or musical terms, this is going to say, be in harmony with one another. Uh, The NASB actually says, live harmoniously. Uh, One commentator I was reading, and he says, think of it like this. Think about all the world is an orchestra, and, and even if you're not musical, you play a part. Like the whole world is an orchestra. This is talking about like general population, all people, all times. He's saying, be harmonious. Be harmonious. I think the tension in us is, is right here. It's a whole lot easier to fight than it is to make peace. It is. It's just a whole lot easier to argue than it is to make peace. Because what happens when we argue is we get to defend our, ourselves, our position, mine, yours, my stuff. But when we seek to make peace, when we seek to be harmonious, man, it takes effort. It takes work. It means that we have to listen. It means that we have to try to understand. It means that we may have to admit that we're wrong. It means that all of these things that may mean that we abandon my perceptions, my preferences, my peace, all of those things in preference to someone else. But he's saying here, look, all of you who have been called by Jesus to be united with God, who are being indwelled by the very Spirit of God with all the people that you come in contact with, Seek to live in harmony. Seek to live in harmony. Now, the same context that applied with uh, living in government, living under a slave master, living in marriage, uh, seek harmony in as much as long as it does not conflict with the way in which we follow Jesus. So, in all things, if at all possible, seek harmony. Romans twelve eighteen says that uh, when it possible, just be at peace with men. Be at peace with all men, not just men in the church, not just women in the church, but like all people, all places, all times. In as much as possible, be at peace. Man, if the church needs to lead the way in anything right now, it's seeking to be like peacemakers. Like peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, but like peacemakers. There's a big difference. Peacekeepers, like, you know, they go and they say, here's the rules, abide by these rules. Peacemakers go into a place of conflict and say, what can we do? What can we do? How can we help? How can we intervene? Like in the case of reconciliation right now, uh, whether you're on board with the Black Lives Matter movement or the Black Lives Matter ideology, either way, the church needs to be at the forefront of this idea saying, you know what? There is no peace here. We want to make peace. What can we do? How can we seek to reconcile two people who are at odds with each other? For whatever reason you choose to cite, how can we go in and make peace? That is our job. That's our role. Because remember, we were set apart for a purpose. We weren't set apart for self. We weren't set apart so that we could get a great t-shirt or a new bumper sticker or anything like that. No, we were set apart to be Jesus here on earth. And Jesus came to make ultimate peace. And he says, I'm leaving you in my place to continue what I started. Go make peace. And that's hard. Because in order to make peace, sometimes we have to abandon self. We have to abandon pride, abandon preference. And we just have to go in and ask, what can we do? What can we do? It doesn't mean that we abandon truth. It doesn't mean that we push truth aside for the sake of peace. No, it means in the name of truth, with truth, we go in and we make peace. Man, the world is ripe. The world needs, like, huge peace. Like, I mean, I I said it a couple weeks ago. I feel like Greenville is like this epicenter of a, it's a powder keg right now. It is ready to explode. Because you go into Home Depot and you'll see it. I mean, you walk into Home Depot and you see the powder keg. You could probably buy one there too, but you can, you can see it. 
Like, I had to go in there yesterday. We're trying to do home improvement stuff like everybody else in Greenville County right now. Um, we picked a great time to paint our foundation and strip it and do all that kind of stuff. And everybody else in Home Depot apparently wanted paint. Um, but some people are, like, right up on you. They're, they're smelling your neck. And other people are about six feet away from each other, maybe 12 feet. Some masks, some gloves, some not, some hazmat suits. Either way, and you can get those at Home Depot, too, and they're in stock. But, but you can just tell. And, and, and even if somebody walks up and they're close behind you because they don't fear you, maybe you fear them and you turn and you look at them, they're like, ooh, he looked at me. They're not afraid of your germs, but they don't want to be looked at. Man, it's just at odds. I mean, even on our street this past week, like Tanner's, Tanner's Big Orange is on our street. And like I, I pulled out last week and I hadn't, re- I hadn't been on the news. Like I, I don't watch the news a whole lot, I'll be honest. Um, I try to read specific stuff during, you know, during the week, but I'm not a news watcher because I just, it, it messes with my mind a lot right now. So I try to get news. But anyway, like I didn't know what was going on. And I pull out and all of Pleasantburg was blocked off and there were about 30 cops out there because the owner of Tanner's made some inflammatory remarks. And, and people said, no, no, we're not, we're not going to take that. And so there was a huge boycott and a huge protest out there and things, things did. They got out of hand for a little while. Man, around the country, yes, but I can't speak for other cities. I can speak for Greenville. Man, it's ready to pop. It's ready to pop. The church should be in the midst of it saying, no, let's not. Let's not. Let's listen. Let's understand. Where can we find peace? And if at all possible, all y'all have unity of mind. Be harmonious. Live in harmony. Not just live in it, but seek to find it. The Beatitudes, Jesus even said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, not the peaceful of mind, but the peacemakers, those who go in, in the name of Christ, to make peace. Where in your life, in your small circle right now, can you do that? Can I do that? But here's the bigger question. Where outside of our circle can we go to do that? Because by the way, Jesus never called for us to stay in our circle. <laughs> you know, remember Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? But that's the Great Commission, by the way. He never called us to be missionaries just in our circle. He said at some point, you're going to have to leave your circle. This is just like that right now. Go outside of your circle to make peace. Where is that? How can we do that? And, and here's, the, here's the response. I don't know where that is for you. I don't know where that is for you. I can't write a bunch of areas on a whiteboard and tell you to pick it, but here's what we do. Hey, God, where can I go and make peace? Where is peace not? Where can I take it? In the name of Jesus, where can I take peace? And that's between you and God. And then, if you're a part of this church, if you feel like God is calling you to an area to make peace, there's a good likelihood because God calls families on mission at the same time, at the same place, and sometimes even at the same rate. If God's calling you there, there's a good chance God's calling someone else there. So just tell the church. Tell us. Say, hey, I feel like God's leading me here. We'll try to connect you with somebody else that God's doing the same thing. Then guess what? You can go two and two. You can go together. Maybe three, maybe four. Maybe even people that are sitting at home say, hey, I don't feel comfortable going on Sunday yet, but I'll go there. That's okay. Where can we go to make peace? Just a simple idea. All of you live in harmony, have unity of mind, be harmonious, make peace. The second statement he makes is finally all of you have unity of mind, make peace. But the second is this. He says, have sympathy. Have sympathy. Now, this is going to be an inward deal. We're going to talk about the outward deal in just a minute, but this is, this is the inward deal. This sympathy idea, um, it comes from a prefix and, and then a root word in Greek that actually means to, to suffer with. To suffer with. But in the context of this, it still means to suffer with, but it means more than that here because in this particular context and the words around it, it actually changes it from suffer with to just feel with. 
fill in the blank. Feel with, fill in the blank. Go to all people, all people that are around you, and feel with them. Feel what they feel. Again, man, imagine right now, like this time that we're in right now, like the tension that exists, no matter where you go right now, imagine walking into that place where people are obviously at odds with each other and saying, hey, I want to know what you're feeling right now. Imagine how that could even usher in peace right now. Like I had a conversation at work last week, um, a girl that I've worked with for a while, and I'll be honest, completely different color from me. And I just looked at her when I walked in. I, I keep about five hours at the gym every week, and I walked in, and I just, I just said, hey, how are you doing? And she said, what do you mean? I said, how are you doing? I said, how are you feeling right now? I want to know. And I wasn't, trying to, like, I wasn't trying to create this holy situation or anything like that, but I looked at her, and I was just like, how are you feeling? She said, you're the first person to ask me that uh, in this entire place. And we had a conversation for about an hour. And it was just me listening to her. And I gave her permission. I said, look, I said, you know, in the context of our friendship, I said, if there's anything I need to know, anything you want me to understand, just tell me. You have full access. Just inform me. If I say something that's insensitive, tell me. I didn't mean to. Just tell me. And she said, that's great. She said, can I give you a hug? I said, well, yeah, you can give me a hug. What would happen if we just wanted to feel with people what they're feeling right now? people that are different from us, people that think differently, because it's easy to fill with people that think the same way as you do. It's easy to fill with people that have the same experience as you. It's easy to fill with people that are, that are in your neighborhood. But what if you went two neighborhoods over, three neighborhoods over? What if you went to a place that looks nothing like you and said, hey, I want to know what you're feeling right now. Help me understand. Imagine how much easier it would be to take peace into that place. Because each one of these is going to build off the other. All of you have sympathy. But again, sympathy is hard because sympathy declares that uh, or demands that we listen. It demands that we ask good questions. It demands patience, and it demands a heart like Jesus too. Because imagine, imagine if Jesus had not demonstrated sympathy. Because Jesus came and he demonstrated sympathy by saying, look, you don't even know it yet, but what you're going to feel soon is complete and utter alienation from the Father. I've come so you can experience something different. I've come so that you can experience union with the Father. The ultimate display of sympathy is that Jesus knew how we were going to feel when we figured stuff out, and he said, I want to provide a way out of that. We call that the gospel. Sympathy. Seek to understand, seek to, seek to know, and, and here's the other thing. Don't assume that you already know. Let me, make, let me use an I statement. We talk about those in community groups. I cannot assume that I already have the answers. I can't assume that I already understand. Chances are I do not. And I'm, I'm just putting my mess on you. Chances are you don't either. Ask good questions. Listen. And sometimes the answers may be insulting. Don't get mad. Just listen. Just listen. Man, and this even extends to people that are struggling with saying that that God is real, that Jesus was real, that all of this salvation stuff is real, hear them out. Understand. Don't, don't immediately go in and just try to convince them otherwise. No, listen to where they're coming from. Listen. Hear them. Hear their life. Hear their story. And then we get to tell ours, which we'll talk about next week. Listen. Don't assume you're right, though. The third phrase that he uses, he says, after finally all of you have unity of mind, be harmonious, have sympathy, seek to understand how people feel. The third is have brotherly love. Philadelphia is the word here, just literally loving like a brother. 
literally just loving like a brother during one of my, my soap times or quiet times, whatever we want to call it this week. Um, man, I was just reading through and uh, reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus like throws out the golden rule, which we've all read since we were kids. You know, in Scripture, it appears a little bit different, but it's the same idea, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like, and then we, we add to that, like the greatest commandment, uh, Jesus said uh, to people when he was being questioned, love the Lord your God as Shema Yisrael, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Second, or like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Brotherly love. Like, what would, what would happen, number one, like if we, we wanted to go in, have harmony, unity, uh, peace with people, and if we wanted to have sympathy with them, what if we began to love them like ourselves? What if we wanted the exact same for them as we want for ourselves every day? Can you see how the gospel is attached to every one of these, like the mission that God has given us, how it goes out through each and every one of these? I'm just going to go ahead and give away the punchline. This is how we take salvation to the rest of the world. Not that we say, but we are the emissaries of the gospel, the emissaries of reconciliation. He says, go and have brotherly love. Want for your neighbor what you want for yourself. Love them like you love yourself. Man, we want peace for our neighbor because we want peace for ourselves. We want salvation for our neighbor because we want salvation for ourselves. We want goodness for our neighbor because we want goodness for ourselves. Imagine if we just really, truly loved our neighbor, neighbor by proximity, neighbor by relation, uh, just if we loved them like we love ourselves. And sometimes that means that we would want to be told if we're wrong or if we're right or if we need something. We have to love our neighbor that much too. In the midst of trying to make peace, in the midst of trying to understand where they are, sometimes we have to speak. Sometimes we have to share truth. Man, on the, the topic of reconciliation, I talked to one of my buddies who's a, um, a, an African-American pastor in Malden, and he said right now the thing that, that white evangelical Christians can do the most right now is that when uh, falsehood is spoken about racial inequality, we just say, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. We need to say, no, this is real. This is happening. This is, this is legit. Man, when in the confides of reconciliation to the one true God, when someone that you have a relationship with, you've been walking, talking, breathing with, sharing your story, hearing their story, uh, when they seek truth, when they ask for truth, or when there's an opportunity to share truth, we just need to share it. We need to use words. Because we want for them the same thing that we want for ourselves. If we love them enough, we will speak. Does it mean that we will condemn them and say, hey, you're going to hell if you don't do that? No, but it means this. Uh, by the way, God loves you. He wants you. He desires to have a life with you. We speak if we love them like we love ourselves. And it means in the context of the church, like it does. Like it means all people, including the one another's, not just your neighbor's. When there is sin in a brother or sister's life, the way that we love them like we love ourselves, we would want to be told if we were grieving the very heart of God by our disobedience, it means we speak in that scenario. We speak. We say, hey, I love you enough to tell you uh, what I see right now can't happen. Doesn't need to happen. What can I do? Then we get to go in and make peace, help them make peace. Then we get to understand how they feel. It's all cyclical. It comes back around. Brotherly love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, finally, all of you, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. And then here's this other one. Uh, be tenderhearted, kindhearted. In the Greek right here, they would have understood that this would have meant, hold on, it would have meant a movement in your bowels. Okay? That sounds crazy, but it would. It would mean that, that when you approach people, when you deal with people, you are stirred in your gut. Like their scenario, their circumstance, their situation, it kicks you in the gut. You feel something. 
before, like this idea of sympathy was a heart issue, how we feel, we have to seek to understand, but this idea of kind-hearted compassion means now that we felt it, we do something about it. Because there's an emotion that's stirring in me so deep that I cannot sit still anymore, just like if there's a movement in, in your bowels, you have to move. The same idea here, except different, you just, you've got to do something. Like if you hear their circumstance and it it hurts you because you've sought to understand them. Now you, you actually begin to actively intervene. Actively intervene. Man, we've had some families in this church over the past two months actively intervene in the lives of other people, and it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch. Families taking care of other families because they know their circumstance and their situation. It's been fun to watch. And it hasn't been solicited. It's just been, hey, is there a need? Can I take care of that? Well, yeah, okay. Love it. Tender-hearted, kind-hearted, compassion, actively intervening based on the sympathy that we felt for someone else. Like when Jesus fed the 5,000, we see this account in a couple of Gospels, but when, when Jesus goes ashore, after he intended to go and rest with the disciples, because he had just sent them out two by two, and they came back, they were tired, but they were excited. I often think that Peter was probably like a Jack Russell Terrier because we have one of those, and he's just bouncing. He's like, Jesus, you should have seen this. This is so awesome. Jesus. And Jesus is like, let's go away and rest. Peter, Peter, Simon, Peter. He, didn't, he wasn't British. It was Aramaic and Peter. So anyway, um, Cephas, let's go away and rest. And they got interrupted. And all of these people were on the shore, like 5,000 men plus women and children. And it says that he didn't go ashore and get perturbed. It says that he went ashore and he had compassion on them. And so what did he do? Well, he began to heal, he began to teach, and then he fed. Like this is what we're called to do. Like this, like that's kind-hearted. We see need, we understand need, we meet need. Be it spiritual, be it physical. It's all the same thing to a degree. Because it's all the same mission. It's all leading to the same place ultimately, which should be truth that Jesus and Jesus alone saves, that God loves and we can be made right with him. But here's the kick. Even if it doesn't get to that opportunity for us to say that, we still do it. We still do it because we're told to. Like this passage, there's no, there's no little caveat in here that's saying only do this if you get to do this. No, it's just saying do it. This isn't social justice. This is the heart of Jesus by the way. See need, meet need. See need, meet need. So then he, he goes a little bit further after the, the heart connects with the hands and he says the fifth thing. He says, uh, and have a humble mind. Have a humble mind. Sometimes I feel like it should start with that because um, these, these aren't necessarily in order. It's not an if A, then B, then C, then D, so if A, then D. It's just kind of like all of these things. But like, here's the simple part of that. Don't think more of yourself than you should. Don't think so highly of yourself that you can't get dirty to help somebody else. Don't think so highly of yourself that you see someone's need as less important than yours. Don't think so highly of yourself that someone else's bills are not as important as yours. Someone else's loss is not as important as your current struggle. Whatever it may be, don't think too highly of yourself. Have a humble mind. Because the other thing is this. Like all of these things that came before this are all us serving the king. And we'll never serve a king unless we have humble deference to him. Never. 
We'll never serve our fellow man, our neighbor, as ourself, unless we have humble deference. We'll never do any of those things. So he just says, be humble. Be humble. For me, the thing that keeps me humble, <laughs> and I'm probably not, um, but the thing that when I think about it makes me really humble is the fact that I don't deserve God. I don't deserve grace. Can't earn it. Shouldn't have it. But Jesus declared otherwise. I have to live in that every single day. That I, I can't earn this grace. I cannot, I cannot clear the ledger on my own enough for it to equal good enough. But Jesus said, you don't have to. I'll do that. I'll do that. And then the whole rest of this passage about not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. And then he, he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What we need to understand about the rest of these, like if we do these things, these five things, here's an understanding, and it's not a reason, it's not a motivation. God will take care of us. It says that for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You will be blessed. Does it mean you're going to be rich? Probably not. Does it mean that you're not going to have suffering? Definitely not, because we're going to read the very next part, section next week, and we're going to see that we're going to have suffering. But it does mean that God will take care of you. It may look completely different than what you think. But again, God's good, our good, could be completely different. But here's the other thing. The other thing that if we do these five things, simple, people will see Jesus. People will see Jesus. If we go in with the intent to make peace, people can see Jesus through us. If we go in with sympathy, seeking to understand so that we can usher in peace, people can see Jesus. If we seek to love people as we love ourselves, people can see Jesus. If we go in kind-hearted with the active role of seeking, making peace, fixing what is broken, trying to fix what we can, people will see Jesus. If we're living humbly with deference to one another and to God, people can see Jesus. I love the short list when... God just speaks through his word, and he just says, do this. Church, do this. It's interesting, this week I was also reading in Matthew chapter 8 when uh, Peter went into, I mean, Jesus went into Peter's house, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law uh, sick. And just such a neat thing, like it's, it is descriptive and a, a little bit prescriptive too, but he walks in, he sees uh, Peter's mother-in-law, who happened to write this book, um, sick, she had a fever. And so Jesus just touched her. Her fever went away. And she got up, and you know what she did? She went to work. She began to serve Jesus. Man, here's the thing. Wrap our brains around it, put it in our heart, write it down. We have been healed from our sickness that is sin so that we may serve Jesus. We haven't done it so that we can elevate ourselves to a new status or a higher place of authority. No, we've been healed so that we can serve Jesus. Healed to serve, that's it. And the way that we get to serve Jesus is we get to sit at his feet and we get to take care of his creation. And in his creation are people, all people, those who will call on him and those who will not. We've been healed so that we can serve. What are we doing with it? We have great opportunities right now. Great opportunities. If we can help you figure that out, let us do that. If we can guide you, if you need to just wrap your brain around something, we want to help you. 
Um, if we need to meet virtually, hey, I'll open Zoom back up even though I'm burnt on Zoom. It's okay. I'll meet you for coffee. If there's a coffee shop that op that's open, I know of at least one that is. Um, I'll wear a mask. I, won't wear I don't care. If we need to meet, let's meet. If we need to talk, let's talk. If we need to deal, let's deal. But we've been healed, so let's serve. Let's do it. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your peace. God, we thank you for simple instruction of just go in, make peace, feel how people feel, love them as we love ourselves, um, be moved to do something, and just be humble. And God, in doing that, I believe that we get to watch you work, and we get to live out the call to, to serve. God, I pray that you would continue to raise up men and women uh, in Greenville to serve, to love, to go where peace is not, to take it there in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that your church would take great advantage of what is going on right now that we would see the, the fields are white, or just, man, they are ripe for harvest. And the gospel can go in, and reconciliation can occur, and Jesus' name can be made great. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we want to send you guys out with a benediction. It comes from 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 14. And then I'm going to start, and then you guys can read along with me. It says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss after the pandemic. All the saints greet you, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. Amen. We love you guys. We hope you have a great week. Stay safe. Um, you are sent.